Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. When we, we stopped a few weeks ago with worship, the, the overall sense of the first two lessons that, that, that I taught on worship was worship is not what we do when we sing songs, although especially this morning. Those songs, if you couldn't get into the presence of God singing those songs about the blood and it's well with my soul, you, just, you probably need to get saved. I'll just be honest with you. Because there was an anointing on that. But that's not the only kind of worship. That is a form of worship, but it is not the highest form of worship. The highest form of worship is what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says, you know, we are to be living sacrifices. That's an oxymoron. A sacrifice is something you kill. That way it can't wiggle off the altar. Well, we need to be living sacrifices, which the problem is we do wiggle off the altar sometimes. But we do that by changing the way we think and act and live. That, Paul says, is our reasonable service of worship. That's how we as New Testament believers worship God is by devoting our lives to following what His Word says. And the last scripture that we, we ended up with was 2 Corinthians 6.14. And I, re- I want to read it in, in, in several different translations. New King James says, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? We always, at least in, in my circles, normally when you're quoting that verse, you're thinking of marriage. And that it is very true of marriage. It's one of the, you know, I have people every once in a while that will call and they'll ask, will you perform a wedding ceremony for us? And my, my response is always the same. Maybe. First, we're going to come down. You're to, before I will totally consent to it, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have anywhere from four to eight counseling sessions, depending on how much you need. But the first one, I'm going to sit down and talk to you about where you are with, with Christ and are you, am I, are you asking me to unequally yoke you? If one's a Christian and one's not, my response is always the same. No, I will not marry you because I'm not going to disobey this, this scripture. For a Christian to marry a non-Christian, it's wrong. You don't join with an unbeliever. And that is the ultimate joining, is to be married. But that's not all this is talking about. The the New Living Translation translates it this way. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? So it's even talking about things broader than just marriage. The message which I'm really getting to where I love, says don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? And you can talk to a lot of businessmen. If you are a Christian, and, and, and unfortunately I've known some 
really good businessmen that they were Christians. They're going to go to heaven. I'm convinced of that. They didn't, they didn't run their business in a Christian way. So when I, when I say if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're doing your best to live your life according to the dictates of God, then you're, that's going to apply to your biggest business practices. And if you are going to live according to, to God's way and you partner with someone who is not a Christian, they're not going to be concerned about following God and you're going to have conflicts. That, that partnership is going to have problems from the beginning. But this is even more, even on a personal basis. Why should I partner with somebody that rejects God? And let me just let me step on a few toes right here, including my own. Why do we spend hours and hours watching secular TV that criticizes, mocks, and makes fun of Christianity and fills your head with garbage that's anti-God and rejects God? We're partnering our minds that God said you're supposed to renew and change the way you think, and we're partnering our brains, our minds, our senses with that idiot box. And it causes conflict within us. We need to be careful about how we do this. Now, where I want to center in today, and this is, I'm, this is going to have to be a two-parter because I'm already running out of time. Um, I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me read this. I'm going to start in verse, um, well, let's start in verse 1. Always good to start at the beginning. If you're going to start a journey, where else can you start except the beginning? But 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the times we live in. The very first verse of, of, of 2 Timothy 3 says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. That word there for perilous means harsh or stress-filled times. Now, I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. It's not hard to recognize that our world's full of stress. And one of, you know, it, it's amazing the suicide rate in this country. But you know the amazing thing, that the, the statistic that always really grips me? Third world countries where people are, are earning less than a dollar a day, I'm talking about the poorest of the poor, which... Thank God it's getting less. Do you realize that from 2000 to 2012, the world, and this is by world statistics, the po absolute poverty rate dropped by 50% worldwide? People that were living on less than a dollar a day, which is the absolute poverty rate, were suddenly making enough money to feed themselves to get at least some kind of housing. Half of the people were brought up out of poverty in 2000 to 2012, which tells me the world is starting to figure out how to at least feed people and provide physically for them. But there are still people in this world that are living on less than a dollar a day. And then this is a side thought, but let me just meddle here for a minute. When you hear people criticizing that, that you know, people overseas are working for $3 an hour, and how could we take advantage of them? You've got to realize, if they don't have that $3 an hour job, they have no job and they starve to death. 
That $3 an hour job is a start and a place where they can be blessed from. That's how we got half of the world out of absolute poverty, by was providing for those starter jobs. It's also the tragedy that we have no jobs for our teenagers today because they have no place to go and figure out that you got to show up on time. you got to dress for work. You can't go into work. I had a student one time was amazed. He, used the, he dropped the F-bomb in an interview for a job three times, and finally the guy says, you just need to leave. You're not getting the job, and he was shocked. I don't know why he didn't hire me. It's like, well, you cussed in an interview. You can't do that. Well, how did I cuss? He didn't know that that's not, that, that's not a business acceptable language. He thought it was normal because everybody he knows just uses that word like it's nothing. I don't know where I got off on that, but we may have figured out in the world how to bring people out of physical poverty, but we're, we're horrible at bringing them out of spiritual poverty. You can feed a man and let his soul die. Jesus said it. What, what, what good does it do if, if you conquer the entire world, but you die and go to hell? Even in these times, even bringing people out of, of absolute poverty and giving them a chance to start bettering themselves, it's still perilous times. But the absolute poor, this is where I was going, they don't have, their suicide rate is almost zero. Because they're struggling to live. They just want to be alive. They want to have enough food to eat today. And they don't kill themselves. It's only people that are rich. And I know, you know, people say, well, we need to hate the 1%. The problem is, in this country, we're all part of the 1%. We're the richest people in the world. And, but because we're so rich, all we do is sit around and think about what might go wrong, what could go wrong, what is not perfect. You know, I look at, at Bill Gates. Bill Gates has got an 83,000 square foot house, and I'm living in a 2,000 square foot house that needs repairs. It's not fair. Well, bless your darling heart. My house is nicer than King David's palace. In the wintertime, he was cold. In the summertime, he was hot. I want, I want, you know, popcorn. All I got to do is throw the little bag in the, in the microwave. In two minutes, I got a bowl of popcorn. Used to, you had to go out to the, to the field, pick the corn, crack it, and eat it. And if you had corn, you were lucky. We are so blessed, but we, we live in stress because of our mindset. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. But there's also a reason that we're having these, these stressful times. And he says it started in verse 2. For men, and this is not talking about males, it's talking about mankind. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. That's a really depressing set of verses. Now let me read that to you from the, the message. I love the way they, they start this in the message. Don't be naive. We need to get our heads out of the sand and realize this is the world we live in. Don't, buy any, don't be naive. This is starting in verse 1. 
There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. Now, I'm going to go through, and this is, this is negative, but I want you to keep in mind, for every one of them, we're going to look at every one of those labels. But I'm going to rearrange them because when I, 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 and I'm just, this is how my brain works. I love words. And so when I'm going to study something out, I'm going to go back and see what the Greek says. Well, they all form neat, neat little groups. In fact, the largest group are the negatives. They're, they're compound words listed there that all start with the letter alpha. And when you in, in the Greek language, when you start a word with the alpha, the alpha means negative. It's anytime you see like the word unbelief, it's alpha pistis. Pistis is the normal word for faith. When you have a pistis, it means negative faith, unbelief. You're believing the wrong thing or you believe in the wrong direction. Well, the, the vast majority of these words are alpha words. It tells you th these are things that, they're, that they should be doing that they're going the opposite direction. Now that really does describe our world today. People say, God says, this is the way you ought to go. And they say, well, I'm going that way. And they just do a 180 and go the wrong way. Part of it is the old philosophy. And I used to live by this philosophy. You know, If it feels good, do it. If it feels real good, do it twice. You know, it's the old thing, the old adage, and doctors will tell you, don't do this, it'll get you in trouble. If one pill is good, take two, it'll be better. No, one might be good and two might kill you. We need to figure out what these people are doing that causes all this stress and reverse it. Now, the first two are what I call the loves. And there, there are two words. One is for lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And they start with the Greek word philos, which is where we get the, 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 the city name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's, it's a word, and, and let me, I'm going to take this a little, about a little bit out of order. But when you um, saw in, in John chapter 21, this is where when, when Peter... Um, rejected Christ on the, the night he was, was crucified or the night before the crucifixion. He, he denied him three times. And Peter ran off. When, when Jesus resurrected, he, I think it was Mary he was talking to, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter had removed himself. Now, not physically, because all 11 of them were there when Jesus came into the upper room. But mentally, he was no longer part of the pack. He had disqualified himself from service. I'm not a Christian. I denied the Lord. When Jesus came back to them, he met them on the Sea of Galilee. They, Peter went back to fishing. And he, they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus came and was reminiscent of when he called Peter the first time. He said, look, guys, if you'll throw the net over on the other side, you'll catch something. They did. And they, they were this huge haul of fish. Well, Peter, it's the Lord. And he dove off, you know. Impetuous Peter, he just dove off in the water and swam to shore. I got a whole, I got a, you know, maybe a year's worth of fish caught here in this net, but I don't care, I'm heading to Jesus. 
Well, when they got to shore, they, they ate breakfast, and Jesus, and it's a very familiar passage, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, he didn't answer, I love you more than them. He said, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Part of that is Peter rejected him three times. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed, Jesus answered him, said, feed my sheep. And then at the end of verse 19, he says, follow me. He gives Peter four commands. Now, the interesting thing is, in these three times, when, when Jesus asked Peter the very first time, he says, do you love me? He uses the, the Greek word agapeo, which is from the Greek word for love, agape, which is the God kind of love. It's an un, um, unconditional love. It's how God loves us. God loved us even when we were sinners. When we had our very, very worst, Jesus came and died for us. It's a totally unassuming, I don't expect anything back. You know the old saying, if, if, if you had been the only one that ever got born again, Jesus would have died for you? That's a true statement. But what is even more true is if no one had ever accepted Jesus and Jesus knew they're all going to reject me, he still would have died. Because that's his nature. That's agape love. It does something without expecting something in return. He asked Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I, don't, I, don't, I can't love you with this high love that God loves us, but I can love you like a brother. And I do. He said, okay, feed my lambs. Second time Jesus said, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter answered again, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Okay, tend my sheep. The third time Jesus looked at him, he said, Simon, do you phileo me? That's why Peter. Jesus questioned, do you really? And I know in Peter's mind, he's thinking back, he's asked me three times, he's questioned, do I re I've answered him twice that I phileo him. And he's saying, do you really? It's because I rejected him. And that's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus had in mind, are you willing to serve me no matter what the cost? That's why he said the third time, then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then at the very, very last, he was talking about the death that, that Peter was going to um, suffer. He said, follow me. Peter, God, Jesus' point to Peter there was, I know you love me like a brother. And brotherly love is great, but brotherly love has its limits. You can test brotherly love to, where the, to the point where it breaks. Look at our civil war. My family, my mother's family was all from uh, um, southeastern Kentucky. Bill's from West Virginia. Do you realize that West Virginia didn't exist before the Civil War? It was all Virginia. And when the Civil War broke out, 
West Virginia, that section said, no, we're staying in the Union, and they formed a new state. They broke away from their mother state. My family, we lived in the hills forever. I mean, if you were Scotch-Irish, you lived in the Appalachians, you were isolated. Some of my relatives fought for the South, some fought for the North, and they killed each other. There were wars. There, when you go back in the, in the um, early 20th century, there were the coal war, wars, the union, unionizing of the coal mines. And there were people shot dead, houses blown up, entire families killed. Bloody, messy, brother against brother. You can break phileo love, my point. Agape you can never conquer. But these first two, when, when God says the, the people today will be lovers of themselves, it's uh, the, the Greek word phileanos, which means phileo and autos. Autos means for yourself, and it literally means they're self-centered. Life is about me. It's all about me. You know, you, you can tell this if you get in a, in a conversation with people, and you can tell real quick if they're self-centered. They're not paying attention to what you're saying. They're paying attention. What they're thinking on is how I'm going to answer you, how I'm going to correct you. They're all about, are you going to meet my needs? This is the old, the old coinage, you know, marriage is 50-50. I've had more than one couple come to me, and they're, in the, they're getting ready to have a divorce, and it says, well, he's not meeting my need. And he looks at me and says, she's certainly not meeting my needs. Well, honey, marriage was never designed to meet your needs. It was designed for you to meet someone else's need. It's 100%. It's agapeo. I give whether I'm going to get back or not. But I also know that agape love, when it gives, there is a spiritual process where I will sow what I, or I will reap what I sow. When I sow love, I will get love. The other one, lovers of money, it's literally phileo with the uh, Greek word uh, argios, which means silver. They love money. They're money-centered. Everything is about money. You go out and you do anything, it's, you know, I got to um, give a tip to the waitress. Let me hang on a second. I got to get my calculator, and I will calculate that tip to the penny. And I've told you before, I, I, I said it jokingly, and I told Gina one time, I said, we're going to have to quit praying over our meals at restaurants because if, if we pray and people see us pray, that means i got to give a bigger tip. <laughs> it's, you know, well, it doesn't mean that. But I want to be generous. And I'm not bragging on me, but, I, but the, where I give this percentage-wise, the biggest tips are the smallest meals. If I go buy a, a get a meal and I just get a cup of coffee and it's a dollar, I'm going to leave a dollar tip. It's just a dollar. Why in the world would I be so cheap to give just a quarter for a tip when I spent a dollar? Of course, I don't know. I go get a cup of coffee anywhere for a dollar, but my point is, the smaller the bill, the bigger percentage I'm going to tip because I want to bless people, and it's going to come back to me. If you're money centered. It's, no, I'm not getting rid of that. You know, money, a lover of money, their philosophy is get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. I'm hoarding it. Now, the, the negatives are the biggest group. This is disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, without self-control. And then I, I, I threw in um, um, brutal and despisers of good. All of these start with the Greek word, 
or the Greek letter alpha, which means it's the opposite. And in the first one, disobedience to parents, to parents, it's alpha paired up with pythio, which comes from um, the word that means to create, to have children. And it, it doesn't mean that, because when I see they're disobedient to parents, I'm just thinking of, you know, the typical eight-year-old or the teenager that's just, they're hard to manage. And that's not really what this is talking about. This is talking about people that throw off the guidance of older generations. My mind, and I'm not criticizing this young man, but when they had that school shooting a year or so ago, and this one boy was thrust into national prominence, which God help him, he wasn't ready for it. But one of his comments was, we've got to get rid of all these old people that are ruling things. We need to rule. He's a high school student. He never even had a job, and he thinks he's ready to run the country. I have no doubt he's arrogant enough, because I know how teenagers are. I used to be one. He's arrogant enough to think that if Trump stepped aside and he took the presidency, he could run the country. He really does believe that. He said, you know, you just need to grab the phone away from, the, from your old parents and, you know, show them how to send a text message, thinking that if you don't understand technology, you have no wisdom. That's being disobedient to parents. It's throwing off the shackles of what generations have learned. We have done that in the last 70, 80 years in our country. We've thrown off decades and centuries of accumulated wisdom and said, no, we know a better way. And we're, we're paying the price for it now. Unthankful, again, it's this alpha paired up with um, the Greek word for graciousness or, or benevolence or kindness. It's just somebody that's not gracious. They're hateful. They just, they're, they're not thankful for anything. They don't, they expect, it's, it's the, um, the, the, the mindset that I deserve everything. I'll tell you, you don't have to get too far out in a college campus today, or at least a liberal college campus. You will see that one. It's this entitlement mentality. I'm entitled to all these things. I had, and it's not, a, it's not just a, a recent thing. I, when I was associate pastor, and I'm going back 30 years for this, um, we had a young couple in our church, and they, they kept coming to the Benevolence Committee, and I was head of the Benevolence Committee. And we need help, we need help, we need help, we need help. And finally, we helped them for a while. And finally, it's, I, I just told the, the senior pastor, I said, we need to go to their apartment, sit down with them, talk to them, see if we can get them come in, let me help them work a budget and figure out what's going on. So we asked them, they said, look, if, if you want our help, we're going to have to come meet with you. We went to their apartment. They were driving a nicer car than I was. They had nicer furniture. They had a bigger TV. All of it was rented. The car, they owed more. They were underwater on the car. And all of the furniture was from errands or one of these rental places. The TV was from... And they had bills. They were over their, their heads in debt. But they thought, we need to have... This is what our parents had. Their parents had 30 years of accumulated wealth, and they expected to have it the first day they got married. And they didn't think that they needed to have used furniture. That's unthankful. It's not gracious. Unholy, it's the, the, um, the alpha paired up with 
hoyas, which means to be undefiled by sin. And literally, it means when, when it says unholy, it's talking about people that welcome sin. It, it's, uh, there's going to be one later on where, where we, um, <clears throat> excuse me, where we pair up something with, with um, hedonism. And this is exactly what this is. To be unholy, it's not just means that they, they messed up. They made a mistake. It's no, I want to go this way. I'm pursuing sin. I, you know, I want to be the worst sinner in the world. Now, the only good thing about that is when, when you work that hard at sinning, sometimes it's, it's a, you, you get in so deep so fast that it's not hard to breach those people when they hit bottom. Because you do hit bottom pretty quickly. Unloving is, again, the alpha, the negative, with the, the word sterego, which means to cherish, to have affection. And it means basically they don't, they don't have affection towards anything or anybody. It, it really goes along with the, um, um, the unthankful, there, or, or not the unthankful, the, the one up there where they're self-centered. It's, I can't, I can't care about anybody else or anything else because it's all about me. And I, you, you just got to come meet my needs. And if you don't, I'm going to get up in your face. Boy, we've seen that a lot of that in the last few weeks. It's unloving. It's a sign of the times. Unforgiving. It's the alpha again with, with the Greek word spindo, which means to pour out an offering. Um, if you've ever seen, um, you know, it's a tradition. You, you, you go to toast a friend that's dead. You take a drink. You drink a little and you pour some out on the grave for the dead. They, they do it at... at pagan shrines they'll take a, a drink and they'll go pour it out on the altar this is saying that they will not give any um, libation they're anti they're against giving any thanks for anything above them they refuse to to forgive they hold grudges and believe me this you see this in 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 our world a lot you know i i may not um Oh, I've lost the, 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 the little saying now. Um, I don't have a great memory, but I, don't, I will never forget this one. They'll hold that grudge and they'll hold it and they'll bring it up years from now if, if you have that long. Without self-control, this is the, the, the negative with kratos, which is power or dominion. They, and this isn't that they reject the power of God. They reject the power to change. Where you see this more than any place else right now in our nation is with the homosexual community, the LGBTQ, RSMVXWYZ, whatever. You know, I didn't, they've got so many letters now I can't keep up. But it, it's, it's not that, that they say, you, you have to accept me. Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I really don't want to know somebody's sexual orientation, especially a stranger. I just don't care. I won't. I don't want to know what you do in your bedroom. That's to. That's up to you. You have God gave you free will. You exercise it however you want. But what they're saying is, I refuse to change. And God has to accept me the way I am because He made me this way. 
No, God didn't make us this way. He made us like the first Adam who fell. So he brought the second Adam, Jesus, who went as low as we could go through his sacrifice. And then when he got as low as it could go, he conquered death, he conquered hell, he conquered sin. And when he came out, he brought us out with him. And he says, now... You used to be a sinner. Now your righteousness, you need to reflect my nature in you. These people that are without self-control, it does not mean they cannot control themselves. It means I refuse to, to deny any of my baser um, inclinations. I'm going to be the way I want to be and God will accept me because this is how he made me. No, the devil and Adam made you a sinner. Jesus made you righteous, and if you're going to call on the name of the Lord, you have got to change. You have to change. It's not an option. Now, here's where we get to problem, though. It's easy for us as the righteous, the holy, we're Christians, to look at those homosexuals and say, sinners. And yet, the practical matter is, for a lot of us, we get so set in our ways. We have our opinions. This is how it is. And I'm not changing. I'm right. I don't care what the world says. And God can't convict you because you're just so set that this is how it's going to be that you refuse to change. You deny the power of God to change you. And I've said it before. If your heart is beating, God's calling on you to change how you think. You are not perfectly conformed to Him. Quit looking. I had a, a, a big conversation on Facebook. God help me. I try to avoid Him. I really do. It's just, I'm like an addict. I just Sometimes I just can't keep my mouth shut. i got to jump in. But this was with a group of former students who are, are, they're all dope smokers. They all like to smoke, get high. And they were making an argument that marijuana needs to be legal. And their argument was to set up a whole bunch of straw men. Well, the only people criticizing this are those people that just get drunk all the time. Well, no. But, but there, what I tried to bring to the conversation, and it was roundly rejected, was... You can set all the straw men up you want to. What, what God has called us to is to not um, be conformed and be better than the drunk in the gutter or the guy who actually does his job but he comes home and gets drunk every night or he's addicted, you know, I get this all the time. Well, you don't want to legalize marijuana, but you got cigarettes are legal and cigarettes kill more people than marijuana. Well... Believe me, when, when the smoking of marijuana becomes equal to the amount of tobacco that's smoked, marijuana will kill more people through cancer because it's, it's the smoke off marijuana just in the carcinogen department is worse than tobacco or just as bad. But my argument to them was you can't use these guys that I'm better than this. The problem is are you better than the best you could be? That's God's standard to us. Are you the best you that you could be right now? And if you're not, why aren't you taking a step forward? If you've got a bad attitude, and believe me, we all get them. We've all got them. And we know when we get out in the middle of it. You know, you got that frowny face. You just got an attitude towards the world or towards individuals. 
God says, okay, I know you're there. You need to repent, change the way you're thinking. Change your actions. We can't look and say, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, it's the old argument if you've ever done evangelism. Well, I've never robbed any banks. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, raped anybody. I mean, wow, your standards are not real high. The point is, have you surrendered to what Jesus has called you to do? And if you haven't, then sorry, you need to. Not being those things is great, but it doesn't mean that you are where you're supposed to be. And I'm going to finish these last two, and we're going to quit for today, and we'll, we'll pick this up next week. This is going to be more of a three-part series than a two. But the, the, the next one is brutal. And I was really puzzled by this. Because it's the, it's the alpha, which means the negative, but it's the, the Greek word um, hermeros, which means to be lame. So it means somebody that's not lame. But literally what it's talking about is someone that, that has no weakness at all, but they're ready to just rip anybody a new one. Have you ever, have you ever had uh, gotten to the point where you're just mad at the world? And where you, where you see this is, you know, we, we prayed earlier for, you know, God heals the brokenhearted. You will find one of the stages of, or one of, the stages of, of grief is anger. And the deeper your grief, the more angry you can get. And I remember I went through a period when Gina and I first met. The first time she saw me, she said her first thought was, I wonder what happened to this guy to make him so angry. Because I was a walking time bomb. I was angry at the world, and I was just hoping someone would prick that boil so I could erupt on them and release some of that anger. And I did, quite frequently. Not usually physically, but usually with my mouth, and I'd, I'd light into you real quick. That's what this is. It's, it's, it's being taking your strength and applying it in exactly the wrong manner and being brutal about it, you know. Um, I'm not trying to be political, but one of the... The uh, former attorney general said, you know, when uh, uh, Michelle used to say, when they go low, we go high. He said, no, when they go low, we kick them. That's exactly what this is talking about. Because you can remember, you watch any movie, any of the old westerns, you want somebody that's a low-down scoundrel, it's somebody that knocks his opponent down, and when he gets him down, he stomps him. The ideal in our culture used to be, you saw it reflected in all of our movies. You have an intense fight with someone, but when you knock them down, you reach down, you pick them up, and you help them back up, and you get it settled. Now, and you see this in street fights, whether you knock somebody down, you better cover up, because they will come at you, and they'll do their best just to beat you to a pulp. That's this, this brutal spirit. And then the last one is despisers of good. And it's the alpha with the Greek word philos paired up with agathos, which is goodness. And it's, it's people that, that have a love for goodness or the opposite of a love for goodness. They hate goodness. It's not that they are trying to be evil. They hate you because you're good. Or they hate an activity because it's good. Do you want to know why the church is hated worldwide by unbelievers? They just don't like you. It's not just that you're a little weird. You're evil. Why? Because you represent a God that they've rejected. And the world is into that. That's why we have 
perilous times, stressful times, because the world out there looks at Christianity and says, mm -mm, you represent God and I hate God. This is a manifestation of the devil, pure and simple. Satan hates Jesus. He hates the Father. He hates the this Holy Spirit. There's no in-between. It's not a mild dislike. It's absolute warfare. I, if I get you down, I will kick you. I will kill you. I want to win the war, and I will do anything. You know, in, in our mind, our modern mind, we have learned to fight wars, civilized wars. I'm not quite sure where we ever got the idea that war could be civilized. But World War II was one of the last major wars where it was total war. You know, everybody bemoans that, that we, as a nation, we dropped the uh, atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Do you realize that we killed more people firebombing Tokyo the very first night than were killed in both those cities combined? We took like 300 bombers full of incendiary bombs and dropped them in a city made of wood. It was, it was, the fire was so intense that some of the later bombers that flew over it, the updraft from the heat coming off that city burning, ripped the wings off some B-29s. Ripped them off the fuselage, and the, the pilots, they crashed and died in the, in the conflagration. And we did it on purpose. It was brutal. Why? Because we, we wanted the war over. And they wouldn't surrender, and we were going to kick them and beat them. We did, it, we did the same thing in Germany with Dresden. We killed like 200,000 people in that city, firebombing it. That's brutal. That's, that, that's just totally immoral. That's their attitude towards us. This is a war for all eternity. This is God against the devil. And the people today, the closer we get to the end, the more they're going to manifest the spirit of the devil. They hate us because we're Christians. And it is a hatred. They despise good. They have no love for good. In fact, they go the opposite way. I have an intense hatred for what God represents. Why? Because I've rejected Him because He rejects me. Well, the lie is He hasn't rejected them. Would that they knew that. It would change their attitude. In fact, for a lot of people, if, if they're not Christians, you tell them that God loves you, and they'll look at you like, yeah, right. No, He does. He died for you. Whether you accept Him or not, He died for you. And the question is, are we going to put our life on hold? Are we going to say, yeah, you gave everything for me. I'm willing to give everything for you. And that doesn't just mean a, a life of drudgery and, and a life of just total deprivation. It means, am I going to change how I think, how I look, and just adopt God's way of looking at the world? If I do, he says, yeah, that's what I need. I know how this thing works. I made the, I made the universe. <laughs> this will work if you do it. But sometimes we get caught up, and, and that is the, the lesson, the, the thing for us. All of those things that the world is doing, we need to make sure we're going the opposite direction. Because that's God's direction. They're going the opposite of God. We need to go with God. And we, believe me, 
we still have the potential to manifest every one of those. And there's a bunch more, but we will deal with those next week. Amen? And then there is a, another passage on farther down that tells us how we should live. And we'll look at that too. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.